Welcome to the Kairos Church Podcast. We believe Jesus loves you, has called us all into his family and kingdom, and is moving through his family to his glory. Kairos Church is located in Grandview, Missouri. You can find us online at kairos-kc.org or through social media at Kairos, Kansas City. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. So our desire as a church family, the reason we exist and what we, what we move towards, our vision is to uh, produce and encourage the body of Christ to be the body of Christ, to be healthy and, and able to, to be in the fullness of, of who Jesus wants them to be. And I know that's big words, and so I tried to break it down into what I imagine that to look like. I want each of you to be able to recognize or know and be able to share God's story that has taken place in your life so that you can see how God reached you and be able to communicate that at the drop of a hat. That would be an end goal at some point in your, in your walk here, if you remain here. We, I want you equipped to be able to see and do that. Because when you see how God has worked in your life, you become very uh, merciful and very loving and very non-religious to those around you. When you don't recognize the working of the Lord in your life and you think it was just you who did it and you made the decision to follow Jesus and you get really churchy. So we, if to be unchurchy, we have to recognize the work of Jesus in our life and then also be able to share it. That's the evangelistic uh, gifting that, uh, the, that we have. <clears throat> the second is <clears throat> we want you to be able to receive and show love. And that's the pastoral gifting. And that is where your heart is is healed enough that you are receiving the love of the Father and you're receiving the love of those around you. You know how to be in community. And then also that you are able to give love. And the enemy wounds us and attacks us uh, with words and actions and things to keep us from being able to receive God's love and our, and our brother's loves and also being able to show love. So one of our desires is to teach, preach, and minister so that you are able to receive and give love. That's the pastoral gifting. We want you to be able to grow in your faith and help others grow so that you know how to get into the word for yourself and be self-reliant in your study of the word, and that you are confident enough that you could lead someone else in a study of the word. And that is the teaching gift. Fourthly, we want you to be able to hear the voice of God for yourself and be able to encourage others with what the Lord is saying in a healthy way. That is the prophetic gifting. We want you to be able to hear and recognize, and you, that happens in a safe and healthy way by you being humble and teachable and being able to submit that to other people and go, I feel like this is what I'm hearing from the Lord, and having other, others being able to speak into that and say, well, yes and no, and uh, you're off here, and, and this is getting weird, and, and when we refuse that and we're not submitted and we don't know how to receive love and don't know how to get love, then we begin to hear really weird things and we uh, get, get off and get weird, okay? So the healing of our hearts, one of the first ones of being able to receive love, helps us to be able to hear the Lord in a healthy way and share love in a healthy way, okay? <clears throat> Lastly, we want you to know and walk in your God-given purpose, and that is the apostolic calling. 
So we ask each of these voices to speak in our body. And we're trying to develop these voices on a regular basis so that you can walk in a healthy manner fully with each of these uh, voices emphasizing as they do each of these emphasis. Emphasis. So that's why we do what we do. So this morning, I just wanted to give you a quick overview on uh, studying the word. And uh, I want to encourage you uh, as in your study, here's, here's some ways that you can study the word. <clears throat> and grow in your ability to study. So when you're reading a book, uh, it works on almost every book that's in the Bible, this type of study. This is what I would call the overview, and it's where you uh, prayerfully are reading the entire book, and you're just asking the Lord for the big picture of what he is saying through this book. What's he saying to you? What's he saying about Jesus? What's he saying to the church? What's he saying about himself? Ask those types of questions as you read the entire book and just write down what you're seeing as you're reading and the verses that correspond to what you're seeing. So it's kind of a really big picture view of the book, okay? The next one would be to, uh, as you're reading the book, look for a, the train of thought the writer had when they were writing it. Now, that won't work for every book because some of the books like Psalms um, um, and some of the prophetic books are a bunch of small little sermonettes all attached together or a bunch of little things to get. And there isn't necessarily a train of thought throughout the whole thing. But all of Paul's letters, there's a train of thought. And you can generally write, reverse write his... his um, Wow. Roman numerals, one, two, three, outline. Wow. <laughs> Reverse write his outline that he was using to write this letter if he wrote one. Okay? Oftentimes you can do that. And what you're doing is you're looking for specific thoughts of what he was trying to, inside the big picture, God is love. Within that, what is he specifically saying? And you can look for and, and reverse, like the book of Colossians, we're kind of reverse outlining Paul's teachings and what he was doing and what he was thinking as he made these arguments. And the third and final way is that, I, that I'm offering this morning, because there's other ways, is to uh, just read as you're reading the book. And when you come to a word, stop and begin to ask, why is that word specifically there? What is Paul saying by that word? What is the meat that's there around that? And that's a lot of digging and cross-referencing. When is this word used in other places in the New Testament? What does this Greek or Hebrew word actually mean or Aramaic word actually mean in the original language? You know, and just digging and studying that way. But these are ways that you can study. And oftentimes, if you aren't motivated to study, begin to think about, okay, Pastor Matt's going to have me teach a class or lead a small group, and I need to be ready for it, so I need to get at least a five-minute word ready, so I'm going to dig and prepare, so that one Sunday when he says, hey, are you ready to come forward and share this morning? You won't be terrified. Now, would I actually do that? I don't know. I might. I, I had a youth pastor when I grew up, and he would do that kind of stuff, and I hated him for it. Uh, I remember I went on a mission trip with him. I was 15 years old and without notice at the church there in Spanish, it was a Spanish church there in the Dominican Republic. He called me up at 15 and said, Matt, why don't you come up and share what, what the Lord has been speaking to you? I was like, 
Anyway, God bless. God bless JP. But uh, my point is, get in the word and study. This is for your benefit because the Lord will begin to speak to you from his word and you'll begin to see growth. It will become fun because the word will open to you as the Holy Spirit speaks to you from the word. And you'll be like, hey, sit down. I need to share with you. Or I got this question. I found this verse and I just am not getting it. I love questions like that. Shows me that you're hungry and you're digging in the word for yourself. And that's where we want you to be because that'll sustain you in your life and in your walk with Jesus. Amen. We want you healthy and strong and independent followers of Jesus who have submitted to one another because we're family. Okay. Amen. So also now last week, uh, I guess David shared a word of talking about some um, personal convictions and, and we talked about a lot about this and I knew I was going to be gone and I knew he was sharing it and I, I, we talked through some of the examples and things that he was going to give. <clears throat> but uh, I had not um, really fully thought through because I was in, in vacation mode and he had not thought through about questions that might cause by what he talked about. And there were several questions about, uh, does that mean that we have no personal convictions or some of the uh, stances against different sins we shouldn't have and things like that? And that is not what we're saying at all. Uh, it is very clearly, uh, if, if this, the word is very clear about it, yes and amen. There is no personal conviction. Uh, you submit your personal conviction to the word. Now, what can happen is when the word isn't clear, but church tradition or your family tradition or your denominational tradition has made it clear to you that the word is clear, even though the word is not clear, and then you fight against that. For example, gambling. I challenge you to find one verse that clearly says, don't gamble. Is that ruffle anybody's feathers? Anybody go like, ooh, I don't know how I think about that. Or David brought up cussing. And I hate when he does that because I struggle to find <laughs> verses that clearly, I mean, we've, we, and we've had some pretty heavy discussions over the last four or five months concerning this and scripture. And I still think I'm right and he still thinks he's right. But we realize it is a personal conviction aspect of and I'm still going to share my personal conviction, and he'll share his personal conviction, but we'll share it at that level. Because there is personal convictions, there's best practices, and then there is authoritative non-negotiables of the Word of God. We do not compromise on the non-negotiables. Best practices to me are the ways you go about worshiping and the ways you go about having church. Those are best practices and you darn well better not kick out your brother over a best practice. Because you are just caught in religion. If that's the way you want to do tithing, then do it. Taking up offerings, doing worship this way or whatever, unless, anyway. So I'm getting in David's sermon. I don't want to get in David's sermon. So if there's any more questions about that, feel free to talk to me. I'd love to hear what's on your heart and to understand and make sure that we are articulating in a good way uh, what we're trying to get across here about being non-religious. Because we don't want to, um, we want to give the, the space to the Holy Spirit to uh, convict people and sanctify them at his pace and not our pace. Okay, as the same way he did for us. 
I didn't change because someone told me I had to. I changed because the Holy Spirit gave me revelation that what I was doing was wrong. And we want to give people the space, even if we disagree with their decisions at the moment, we can still love them and fellowship with them and pray for them to receive further growth in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Amen. <clears throat> so do, do come and talk to us if you have any more questions or would like to point something out. So I got a couple jokes for you real fast. I, uh, Lori Sharda shared this one, and I wish I could throw this picture up because you probably can't see it at all. It, it looks just like our little tiny dog. We've got a little beagle, and it's got a little beagle, and our dog looks at us that way. It's looking kind of sideways at, at the person. And the text says, <clears throat> after listening to his owner drone on for hours, Ralph suddenly realized he was not cut out to be an emotional support dog after all. <laughs> I love that. That was just hilarious. And I had this one down, and John shared it with me too, but I'll, so I'll share it with you guys. Uh, to whomever, who, to who, whoever, boy, the English in this is not correct. Whoever stole my uh, Microsoft Office copy, <clears throat> to whomever stole my op, uh, <laughs> right, you're correct. I, I thank you very much. To whomever, to whoever stole my Microsoft Office copy, I am going to find you. You have my word. Well, there you go. Lordy, that took a lot to get out. <clears throat> so this is the last one. Uh, my doctor uh, this week advised me to stop eating red meat, steaks and things. That's going to be a massive change for me because I've been going to this doctor for 15 years. <laughs> you want more of my voice. <clears throat> okay. So, are you ready now? Yes. Okay. So, my doctor advised me this week to stop eating red meat, red meat, steaks and things. And it's going to be a massive change for me because I've been going to this doctor for 15 years. Okay. Well, we'll just let that one go then. Yeah. And Ryan says I should not explain jokes. Anyway. Last but, last but not least. I think I have lost total, total control here. Okay. Yes. We ain't got it. Right. So... <clears throat> To get back onto serious things, <clears throat> so uh, I know that you've probably seen that the mayor of Kansas City uh, renewed the mask mandate beginning Monday. So as of right now, we do not legally fall underneath that mandate because we are in Jackson County and oftentimes East Jackson County follows 
Mayor Lucas's suggestions. So that hasn't happened yet. We're just kind of investigating and following it. I was looking up for the, trying to find the CDC numbers, but uh, clearly uh, yesterday it just popped right up and today I can't find it anywhere. Uh, but according to the CC, CDC, my understanding is that uh, it is, if it's over 50 cases per 100,000 people, then they suggest going back to everybody wearing masks, okay? And Kansas City, last time I looked, was at 37. So that's one of the factors. There's a bunch of factors here. We on staff, uh, I don't know when Dennis gets back, but we'll, we'll talk. Mayor, do you know when Dennis gets back? He's kind of our resident. Um, okay. So uh, we will be in contact. We'll figure this out, and we'll try to send out an email if anything is adjusting uh, here at church, okay? You always are welcome to adjust any way that you see fit, okay? So <clears throat> I don't want to get into the, um, into the politics of it, but that's where we are at the moment, and we will send out information as we know it, okay? But we do, uh, we do live, breathe, and work as a family, and so we will submit our individual desires for the good of the family if what's best for the family is best. Okay? I know it's easy to agree when you agree. It's harder when you disagree. But that's where that is. I think I've got all my announcements done. And thank God I can get into the Word now. So open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. And if you would get ready, we're going to be taking communion. Bless you, Lord. I'm going to read out of the book of Colossians, and then we'll take communion. Beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1, the word says, it's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I love that. And he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. <laughs> and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are the firstborn among all creation, that all things are in you and through you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your preeminence. And thank you for the blood of your cross, for the breaking of your body, which gives us access into the throne room, into the family, and translates us into your kingdom, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge the work of your cross this morning, which saved us, redeemed us, and translated us, Father. We receive it this morning, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your work.
and for your blood. Amen. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask you just to speak to us today. Thank you, Father. So we are in Colossians, which is our third uh, part of this series on Colossians and reconciliation. You can go back in our, in our podcast and our uh, Vimeo account and see our previous uh, sermons about this. But uh, beginning here in verse 15, because that's where I left off last time, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn born among, among all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. I love the authority and the preeminence and the uh, awesomeness of Jesus, that all authority belongs to him. Even the authority that currently does not recognize his authority, it's still there. It's like the little kid who doesn't agree, but uh, you know as the parent, um, your way goes. And they may think they're getting their way, but you know. And they can, you allow them sometimes to live in their uh, misunderstanding that they have authority and that they have, they have the power to say no and to rule their own lives. But you know better than they do. In the same way, Jesus relates to us. And he will look past our foolishness at times. And he will look past the foolish of the nations for a season. But Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the ruler of the whole world. All authority is from him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. You know, when we talk about families... and we deal with the issues that we deal with when you're in a healthy family, you're going to deal with stuff. Uh, Things are going to be brought out. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have uh, disagreements. You're going to deal with it. Uh, If Jesus is in the middle of this, you will push through and you will find the answer. Because Jesus is the glue that deals with each of our hearts individually to cause us to get back to dealing with what is right. If we refuse to, then we are stepping away from and refusing the authority of Jesus. And eventually, we'll have to stand before him for that. So it's better just to go ahead and humble yourself and submit and say, Okay, Jesus, I don't like this, but I I repent and I want to like this and I want to get my heart in the right place. I can be in family and be in community the way you've created me to be. Because all of it is together. So Jesus deals with our hearts. The solution for racism is Jesus. You can't be racist and have Jesus in your heart long term. Jesus will deal with it. You can try to be racist and have Jesus in your heart. You can think you have Jesus in your heart, but Jesus will deal with it and he'll put his finger on it and say, this is not me. Deal with this. I do not act this way. 
Jesus will do that because Jesus is the thing that is the thing is the person who holds us all together and brings us all into unity. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the body. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. He's number one. If there's somebody who can go, I'm number one, I'm the champion, I'm, I'm the highest, I, I, I'm the whatever, it's Jesus who can do that. I love that about Jesus. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Paul wrote this letter to the church here in, in Coloss uh, because he had not planted this church. It was planted by a disciple of his. I think we talked about this earlier. Uh, when he was in Ephesus, a guy had gotten saved and he'd gone back home to Laodicea and the Coloss area of, of Turkey. And he had planted these churches and he was kind of the father of these churches. And Paul was writing as, as kind of a grandfather of apostolic voice into these churches to correct some things. They had written and there was a heresy going around that uh, Jesus was actually a demigod. And it had lowered the divinity of Jesus down to kind of God had had um, relations with a human and produced a half God, half man thing. So, I mean, you could see this in Greek theology. That was normal, normal theology in the Greek culture, which was right there by Turkey, was preeminent thought. And the thought was, well, well, what they're saying about Mary and stuff, it makes sense that Jesus is a demigod. You know, and so this was beginning to grow in the church, and this is why Paul wrote what he wrote to the church. He wanted to make it very clear, this is wrong. Jesus is God and is preeminent. All things were made through him. So you can see his wording here. He was hitting it on the head. Jesus is the fullness of God. So when we invite Jesus into our lives... We're inviting three-quarters of God into our life. Two-thirds, seven-eighths, the fullness of God. And so the things that don't match up to the character of Jesus, Jesus over time by the Holy Spirit will sanctify us and reveal to us who Jesus is and who we are in him so that we can conform into that image and be made into the image to look more like Jesus. Jesus has affected world history. You may not realize it, that recently there was a, uh, an, an agnostic, atheistical uh, historian who wrote a book uh, about the influence of Christianity on the world. It's a pretty interesting book, <clears throat> and it basically goes through and describes the church's influence and in how we have changed culture. Things that we take for granted today because they're so normal to us, they're bedrocks of our culture, we take so normal that we don't even realize that they actually came from the church's influence, Jesus recreating himself in culture. I'll get it for you. I don't have it off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, one of the main things that he pointed out was just love for your fellow man. 
Did you know that under the Roman Empire, and this is an interesting fact, under the Roman Empire, uh, sex with individuals was based on class. And so if you were in a higher class, you could uh, use and abuse anyone under, under a lower class, and it was socially okay. You guys all say, wow. In that culture, that's normal. How did that change? Jesus. It was the Christian influence that said, no, 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 no. That's not the way we live. We all are equal before Jesus. We don't use others to fulfill our success, uh, uh, selfish desires. Sex is about intimacy with the one that you are connected with, your husband or your wife that the Lord has given you. It's about representing Christ in the church. It's not about just you fulfilling your lustful desires. So it was the Christians preaching this and being counterculture that eventually permeated the culture to where it became some pretty much normal. Now it's kind of going reverse now, and they're pushing against that. But the reason why you sit here and go, wow, wow, I can't even understand thought like that, is the influence of Christianity. And there's tons of things like that. Reaction toward the poor. Anti-slavery. There are tons of things that have happened over the centuries where lives, education has improved because of Christian thought. Because of Jesus showing himself to the world. This is what I intended for you. I am fulfilling you in the church and I'm going to permeate out through you into culture and they won't even recognize me per se, but the goal is to, uh, for everyone to see. It says, Jesus is the fullness of God. And it says here, I, I noticed here, which I thought was really cool. It says that he was pleased to dwell. Verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself. So we have uh, uh, God pleased to dwell the fullness of in, in Christ Jesus, enjoyed it. Remember when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, God enjoyed the ability to come and be among us in Jesus and to save us. It pleased him. It wasn't a, oh dang, look what I got to do now. Why couldn't they just have listened? It was, I love these people. I want to get among them. I want to give them an ability to get back close to me. I am so happy, so joyful to come out and serve and humble myself in this way. He's pleased to get to know you. And it also says here by the wording that I understand it, he was pleased to dwell and pleased to reconcile through Christ. He was pleased to reconcile. Happy at the ability to reconcile. Happy the ability to go out and reconnect, to build a bridge, to salvage a relationship, to win an offended brother. You know, in Proverbs, it says that an offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city. But it says here that God was pleased to reconcile and to make peace. 
That word make peace there is a verb. It comes from the adjective peacemaker mentioned in, Ma- in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. That's an adjective, not a noun. It's an adjective. It's a descriptive, like red, yellow, fat, you know, peacemaker. It's a part of who you are. It's an adjective that describes you, and you walk it out in the verb peacemaker, making peace. So Jesus was pleased to do this, to go out and reconcile, because Jesus desires and moves toward reconciliation all the time. Jesus desires and moves toward reconciliation. That's the opposite of cancel culture, by the way. That flies in the face of cancel culture. You've heard it said, if you disagree, cancel them, boycott them, get rid of them, make sure they lose their job, make sure they pay if you disagree. You've heard it said, but I tell you, Jesus looks for reconciliation. Jesus looks for opportunities to forgive. Jesus forgives before they even recognize that they've been forgiven. Ooh. I don't think our cancel culture right now is in alignment with Jesus. And I think us in the church have missed an opportunity to flow like Jesus because we've aligned ourselves with one side of the cancel culture from time to time. We're pretty ready to protest and beat down and shout and demand and see people trampled on and I hope, I, I hope you get destroyed. We may not say that with our words, but in our heart. Somebody needs to take that person out. That is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus pursued, even though we were killing him and putting him on that thing that hangs behind me, we were beating him. His shout out was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If we as the church don't get the heart of Jesus and get to the place in culture where we can see from the eyes of Jesus and begin to speak reconciliation before they even recognize they need it, then we are going to shortchange and hinder the kingdom of God expanding in our current culture until the point someone recognizes this and begins to stand up. If we go along with the cancel culture, then we are no better than those that are outside the church. Jesus desires and moves toward reconciliation. Easiest way to do it is to sit down at home, put your journal in front of you, turn on some worship music, worship for a little while and say, now Jesus, show me how you sought me out. And get ready to be humbled. And then apply that to all the neighbors and all the people you disagree with and everybody from the other political party whatever that other political party is, and apply that to them. Well, Lord, if you sought me, I guess you love them too. And you could even go, if you don't want to go political parties, go with the person who disagrees with you on how to handle COVID. Because that's just right up there. 
or any of the other things that are currently right now seeking to divide us. Reconciliation, Jesus did, by the blood of his cross. Reconciliation requires three things, and these are what I really want to focus on today. So if you're going to write stuff down, this is what you'd want to write down. Reconciliation is the first step. Remember, reconciliation leads to sanctification. Sanctification is by the Holy Spirit, but they've got to be reconciled before they can be sanctified. So don't try to sanctify them before they're reconciled. Okay? Just letting you know. Reconciliation comes... This isn't one of the three. This is just a side note here, man. (laughs) Reconciliation comes before sanctification. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit that comes after reconciliation. Don't try to sanctify them before they are reconciled. That is religiosity. Give the room for the Holy Spirit to begin to work in them. Get them saved first. Okay? I had a good pastor friend that I knew that told me how he had lived with a Playboy bunny girlfriend in California back in the 60s, and he had gotten saved, and he lived with that girl for six months. And then one morning he woke up, and the Holy Spirit said to him, I don't do this. And he realized it was wrong. And he ended the relationship and moved on. That blew me away as a young believer. Did no one judge you and tell you from the church that you should not be living with this girl for six months? (laughs) You know, I'm saying that's a young believer. That's my thoughts. I'm not saying that's the thought that needs to be. My point is, Jesus loves this guy and will meet this guy and deal with him. The Holy Spirit will. My job is to point them toward Jesus. And if I can do that in a non-judgmental way, I will get them hearing the Lord and the Lord will deal with their hearts. That's my point. So the three, here's the three things for reconciliation. First one is humility. Second one is mercy. Third one is love. So let's talk about humility. Jesus had to be humble to do this. And you're going to have to be humble to walk in reconciliation. It is not easy to walk in reconciliation. If it was, the world would do it. But we as the followers of Christ must walk in reconciliation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, this is if you've experienced anything from your walk from Jesus, then verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, be in unity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count one others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, talking about Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, humility, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So how far do I go in this? 
Well, I think you go as far as the Lord leads you. As far as the Lord leads you. He may lead you to full servanthood. Now, servanthood is you're a servant of Jesus, not a servant of the person. Okay? And there's a healthy balance there. That doesn't mean you just lay down your life for everybody and let them walk all over you. That's not what it says. You're a servant of Jesus. So if he instructs you, hey, serve this person in this way, you do it. But you don't do everything that you see. Every need does not constitute the will of God. Every person's desire does not constitute the will of God. You must hear the Lord on what he is instructing you to do and how to serve. Because you are his servant, not their servants. Okay? Okay. So humility is the first. If you're going to look for reconciliation. So I want you to think as, you're, as I'm going over these. Think about who is Jesus pursuing around you? Who needs reconciliation around you? Maybe it's you yourself. Maybe it's somebody around you. And uh, first step is that humility of, do I need to humble myself? Am I burning bridges when, instead of building bridges with somebody? You know, Am I looking at the situation? I may have a right. I may have a reason. I may have a uh, good argument. But do I just need to shut up and humble myself and look for a way of reconciliation? Okay. Number two is mercy. And if you look in Ephesians... Chapter 1, let's look at the mercy of Jesus. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The reason we show mercy to others is because of the mercy that was shown to us. The reason we look for reconciliation is because we recognize how Jesus pursued and reconciled to us. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in trespasses and in sins. You were dead. I was dead in trespasses and in sins. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All been there. But God, thank God that but's there. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, rich in mercy. Mercy opens the door for salvation. If you do not show mercy to people and build a bridge, they have nothing to cross over on. You become a stumbling block instead of a stepping stone. It's important for us as the church to not live in cancel culture. We do not cancel. We do not cancel. Jesus did not cancel us. We do not cancel. We pray, bless, hope for the best. We speak the truth in love, but, and we continue to love even when they are shouting in our face in disagreement and do, refuse to receive it. That is the work of Jesus. We never cancel. 
The last one is love. And I'll be closing out there. John 3, 16. I know you know this. But 17 is, is a fun verse. 17 is, is, to me, is far more, not more important, but has a ton of power for the uh, mature believer. 3.16 is great for the non-believer and the early young believer. 3.17 is what you grow on. 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 is the purpose. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to cancel. But in order that the world might be saved through him. So he's looking for opportunities to reconcile. I grew up in a... uh, A house where it wasn't necessarily the, you didn't, you didn't deal with your issues. If there was an argument, you, everybody got silent and avoided. Avoidance was the, was the key. And so I married a, a wonderful woman who uh, grew up in a household and has the culture of dealing. You, you deal with it, you know. And so in the beginning of our marriage, it was difficult because my, uh, my initial reaction was to, I don't want to talk about it. And her reaction was, what do you mean you don't want to talk about it? We got to talk about it. If we don't talk about it, you know. And we talked about it. I can remember. <laughs> can I tell her? <laughs> uh, dang. Now, I, I'm a mover. And I've always been a mover. And I've, I've slowed down a lot. But I used to stay busy. And part of the staying busy was avoidance. Because I didn't have to deal with anything when I, when I would stay busy. So about the only time I slowed down was when I was in bed. And so there were several times in the first couple of years when she would wake me up about midnight and, say, and ask me a question. One of, the, one of those terrible questions you want your wife never to ask you, things like, do you really love me? You know, <laughs> you know because it was true. I mean, it was, it was a deep question that I was, I was broadcasting the wrong thing as, a, as an immature young, young man in my marriage. And uh, so she really helped me and I developed and learned, you deal with things. You talk it through, you deal with it, you let off steam, and you talk it through, and you love one another, and you do. So when I'm dealing with my family, still at times, within me is the avoidance that comes up. I've got conflict in my family, and I want to deal with it. It's better for me just to not talk to any of my siblings and hope it all goes away, which it never does, you know. And I know by the Holy Spirit that, no, I need to build bridges. And so this is stuff you work on all the time. And I want us to work on it with each other and with the world out there and with your uh, blood family so that you can walk in wholeness and the blessing that the Lord has for you because it brings liberty. When you have all of this stuff, all you, that unresolved issue, all it is is just bondage and you're avoiding and for you know, you can't remember who you're avoiding and who you're not avoiding because you're avoiding so many people so you just avoid everybody. You know, it's an unhealthy place to be. The Lord doesn't want that for you. So to end with, (laughs) Jesus is pursuing reconciliation. He is pursuing reconciliation. He's pursuing reconciliation. He values all the sheep. So who is Jesus pursuing around you?
Father, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for your humility. Uh, you were not only uh, so humble, Lord, you were the meekest man on earth, Father. You submitted yourself to the Father and to the cross for our redemption. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy, that though we were worthy of judgment, you would just, just look past it and chose to shed your blood uh, and show mercy. And thank you, Father, for your love, that though we didn't know you, didn't want you, and probably even cursed your name in our ignorance, uh, you still loved us and pursued reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Lord, help us, Father, to walk in reconciliation uh, with each other. Father, with those around us, help us, Father, not to fall into the trap of the cancel culture. Help us not and, and convict us, Holy Spirit, when we do it in small ways. Show us, Lord, so that we, don't, that we can be different, that the world can see you through us, Lord Jesus. That's our desire, Jesus, for you to be praised. Father, bless this body. Speak to them this week as they're reading their word. Speak to them as they're praying and seeking you. Speak to them as they're driving their car and making supper and all, walking their dog. Speak to them, Lord, I pray. And just share with your love. Share your love with them, Father. Thank you, Father, for it. And I pray in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. That was Pastor Matt Backtold. Matt has been the lead pastor of Kairos Church since 2014. Thank you for listening. Please support our ministries as we develop Christian community in the greater Kansas City area and beyond. You can give online through our mobile app or website, www.kairos-kc.org.